Good morning, everybody. Good to see you again. Good to be back. I talked to John Jenkins last week, and he just wanted me to pass on just uh, how amazed he was with your hospitality. Thanks for welcoming him so well. He was kind of taken away with, with how well you guys greeted him and cared for him. Um, and uh, he said, I, I'd love to do it again. So he was pretty impressed by you guys. Hey, if you didn't notice this, something to notice. I don't know if you noticed the building felt, felt a little cleaner when you walked in today. Uh, but we had a group of people come around uh, and help on Saturday morning for a long time. And if you notice a dumpster outside, we purged a lot of stuff. And we cleaned up. There's, we have a significant issue with stuff around here. I don't know if you guys have an issue with stuff at your house. We just kind of keep it. And so we're trying to get rid of those things to use our building a, a little bit better. So if you're one of those people that came and helped, thank you. Uh, we are in a better spot today because of you. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but there was a pretty special date this past week uh, on October 31st. There was a pretty special deal, and it wasn't us dressing up in costumes and getting our delights, uh, the delight of our hearts and candy, but it was something that was really important for those of us who profess the name of Christ and attend a church like this. Uh, October 31st was the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. I don't, know, I don't know if you guys know what the Reformation is, but it's crucial to us who are Protestant. Uh, there was a guy named Martin Luther. I don't know if you're familiar with Martin Luther. He was a Catholic friar, and he posted or nailed 95 theses. I, I don't know if that's plural for thesis. I'm just going to make up a word there. He pinned 95 theses to the board of uh, to a Catholic church door in Wittenberg, Germany, about his disagreements with some of the things that they were doing. And it was in the year 1517. And Martin Luther, posting those theses on the door, began a revolution in the Christian faith that we still know today. It, it caused a, a divide in theology and practice into two different areas. We have Protestantism and Catholicism. Luther, one of his major deals was this thing of indulgences. And I don't know if you knew what indulgences are, but at this time, they were looking to build a gigantic cathedral in Wittenberg. And to fund it, they were going around to people in that community saying, hey, if you pay money, if you put money in this coffer, then you can assure yourself that you're going to be in heaven, depending on how much money you put in there. Or if you put this much money in, one of your relatives will get out of purgatory. And so Luther has a huge issue with these things, and he is a biblical scholar, and he begins to write. And so these are some of the things that Luther, through God's Holy Spirit, founded Protestantism on. Number one, he believed. I get these from uh, Robert Neuenschwander, a brother here. He summed these up really well. I, I took it from him. Uh, Luther, Scripture alone is the final authority. We think that that's just a, an easy idea, but that wasn't then. Scripture alone is the final authority. You are saved by God's grace by faith alone. That's a foundational belief to who we are, but in that time it was not. It wasn't based upon works. That's what Luther is saying. He says that salvation is Christ alone. And all of this, all of our lives, all of salvation is for the glory of God. He, he believed that singing was important in worship, Right? We know that to be true today. He upheld the writing of hymns and that music was a part of the worship experience. In the Catholic Church in this time, that wasn't a high view of family. 
Luther and his wife modeled what Christian marriage was, and they made it prominent and, and, and re-engaged it into the conversation in Christianity. Luther wrote that any job can be used for the glory of God, not just priests or pastors, but any vocation, any calling God can use wherever you're at for the glory of God. And he placed a high importance on having the Bible written in the language of the common man, that they can access it and have availability to it. These are groundbreaking fundamental ideas that are the bedrock of our church, but none of them would have happened if Martin Luther hadn't been courageous in 1517, and he brought us to today. We are who we are today because somebody like Martin Luther. And so the Reformation, friends, it still matters today. It still matters today. What Martin Luther did in 1517 matters to us today. And I would, I would hate to spend some time together today and not reflect and celebrate what happened 500 years ago because it's that important. And here's what I would invite you to do. Here's some homework for you. If you've never seen the movie Luther, Okay, that's, that's a, a Luther. That's your homework assignment for this week, okay? Watch the movie Luther. Understand, research the Reformation and, so you can fully understand why it is important to us today. So just a little bit about the Reformation today. Uh, I get excited about the Reformation because I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd in that area. Uh, so let's just get into the meat of our message today. We're going to be in week five of our series called Connected. Uh, it's about our life in the church, and this week we're going to walk into the area of being connected to one another through our service. Service is an action or, or a, a help of, of somebody to, to do something in their life. But in the world of Christianity, we define service a little bit differently. Service involves an identity, an identity that says whom I belong to. We serve because we are servants of the Most High God, all right? We serve Him, and in Christianity, we also consider whom we are serving and why we are serving, serving these people. And so, know that in the world of Christendom, service has a high value to Christ. It is a high value to Christ, and so we're going to walk into that today. So let's just start off by doing a little exercise this morning. Uh, I'm not going to make you run, but I'm going to ask you this question. Because I think this is going to be a good uh, for fostering our discussion here today. If I asked you to choose between two superpowers, all right? If, if somebody asked you the question, if you could choose between invisibility and flying, which superpower would you take? Now, note there's a little catch with this. You would be the only person in the world that has that superpower, and nobody else that you would know that you, you have it. So you're the only person that has that superpower. Which one would you choose, flying or invisibility? How many in here would fly? Fly? Okay, how many of you would be invisible? Okay, we're kind of split in this. Uh, there's a podcast that I listen to sometimes called American Life, and they featured a podcast, a story about this question. They asked lots of people, what superpower would you choose with the same kind of, kind of catches to what we had? And, and the commentator was just surprised with what came back to him. Uh, he was moved that people were so quick to answer this question. It's like people just walk around expecting this question to be asked of them at some point. Like, oh, I knew that from the moment you asked me, I was going to fly, right? And he was, he was just blown away with, with what they wanted to do with that superpower. Why, why would you pick that? Why did you pick what you pick? Think about that. It, yeah, it's, my, I asked my wife this yesterday, and she said, well, that, I don't have to take the bus. I can fly wherever I want to now. That's why she picked flying. And what, what this commentator was blown away with 
was that people were, were just so self-serving with their superpowers. Like nobody said, you know what I'm going to do with it? I'm going to fight crime. I'm going to fight crime. Nobody, nobody figured crime into the, fighting crime into the, uh, the, the, the equation of having a superpower. So much so there was a lady, uh, their, their plans were, were not heroic. They weren't flashy. They, they were just pretty simple. Uh, it almost was, never was the case that somebody said, I'm going to use this for the benefit of others. There was a lady who said uh, that she wanted to be invisible so she could be a petty thief and steal cashmere sweaters. Like, that's pretty short-sighted. Like, we could use that a little bit better. But typically, that how, that's how it goes in this question. People who want to fly, they want to do it because I don't like the transit of the car or the plane. I just want to get there as quick as I can. People who are invisible, they want to sneak into a room and hear what people are going to say about them or sneak into movies or onto airplanes. Uh, no one seems to care about crime or doing good. Uh, there was one guy that said, I, I don't think I would want to spend a lot of time using my power for good. I mean, if you had to rescue somebody from a burning building or something like that, you might catch on fire. So that's why he didn't want to help people. I, I think this is a, a really good exercise. Um, and I think it's pretty powerful when it comes to kind of revealing our hearts. I, I know that this is a petty exercise, but I think that there's some importance in it to say, okay, what is in my heart? Because isn't the whole power of having superpowers to do good, to fight evil? That's what I grew up in comic books with, right? Why, why would we have superpowers just to be selfish and self-serving? But most of us, including myself, that's where we would take these things. That's where we would take them, that we would want to serve ourselves and for our good, not for the good of others. And, and look, I think this is exactly the opposite of what Jesus would want us to be. And I'm not trying to guilt you in a, in a petty example about superpowers, but I think it speaks to our hearts. I, we have to know this is exactly the opposite. That selfishness is the exact opposite of what Jesus would expect, to us, uh, expect of us. And then we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to see that selfishness in our hearts. We have to be able to see that selfishness in our hearts and acknowledge that it's present there if we're ever going to move past those things. If we're ever going to let the, the Spirit slay through His Spirit and His power, slay that selfishness inside of us. Because that is the number one thing that is going to get in our way in service, is being selfish in these things. Guys, being a servant is one of the hardest to do toughest to hold on, most difficult ideas to wrap around in this Christ-like life. It is one of the most difficult ideas to get around. But the bottom line is, is that to be a Christian is to live a life for the sake of others. That's the bottom line in Christianity. Christians live for the sake of others. And I didn't make that idea up. I'm not that good. I'm not that brilliant. Uh, and it's not coming from some soft-minded, gushy-hearted spirituality. Being a servant is a central, a central to a biblical understanding of what it means to be truly a Christian, a little Christ on earth, and not just people who are pretending to be Christians who are playing at this Christianity thing. And so this is a challenge for me. It's a challenge for all of us because choosing to be like Jesus when the pressure is on is hard. Choosing 
within our positions and our privileges and our power, not just to, to use them for our own advantages, but to bless others because of them is hard to do. We face this every time we get our credit cards out. We face this every time that we have an offering. Am I going to live this life in a way that it's about me getting and not giving? We face this every time we have a conflict in our home, every time we have a conflict at work or in politics. Am I going to face this focus solely on my feelings and my preferences, or might I understand that there might be legitimate hurts and hunger on the other side of this that I might, if I could get past myself, be capable of serving? We choose it every time that we come to church. We face it. Is the purpose of me coming here to get something out of my, this for my needs, or is it to help me to learn how to address the needs of others? Martin Luther King Jr., a different Martin Luther, once said that, that the most persistent an urgent question for us who are Christ followers is, is, is what are I, am I doing for others? What are we doing for others? That is the most genuine, deep question that we can ask each other, those of us who admire Christ. It's a persistent and urgent question that we have to keep asking because we have to carry the gospel into the world. And service allows us to be more than just people that are spreading words that we think that we believe in, but it shows who Christ is. And listen, this is our brand, friends. Like this is our Nike swoosh, our Under Armour, whatever they've got there. An outward-focused mind, an outward-leaning heart that is other-centric is the brand in Christianity. It is what differentiates us from everybody else. It is who God called us to be. Paul in Philippians, he writes this in Philippians 2, verses 3 through 5. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this in mind amongst yourselves, which is, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. A Christian lives for the sake of others. A Christian lives for the sake of others. And so are you one of them? Are you one of them? Do you have the same mindset as Christ does? Because look, Jesus laid down his status. He laid down his He was the son of God. He could have done anything he wanted. He could have, angels could have been there at a moment. But he lays down his status. And what does he do? He associates himself with the lowest of lows. Jesus associates himself with people who could never give him anything. And he was kind, and he was loving, and he was genuine, and he was generous to all of those who could never give him anything. And I think for some of us, me included in here, there are certain things that we just have created this belief that we just don't do those things anymore. That there are certain tasks and jobs that I've graduated from. I'm, you know, I'm pretty smart. I don't do that stuff anymore. I don't, maybe there are people, you know, I moved past those people, okay? I've got a graduate degree. I've, got, I've graduated from college. Those aren't people that I associate myself with. We feel like that we've achieved some sort of level. 
we don't have to do certain things. Maybe you had a low status job at one point and you graduated into a better position and you feel, feel like you've moved on from that low job status. That's not what we see in Christ. Christ never graduates from anybody, even the lowest of lows. And so Jesus is inviting us to be free from that. He invites us in passages like Philippians to, to exchange our very brittle identity, our very brittle status, and exchange it for his status. And his status was a servant. He was a servant. That's exactly who Christ was. And he's asked us to exchange our status for that, that we could be viewed in honor in the eyes of God. And so we go down with Jesus, but we never graduate above the level of Jesus, ever, in our lives. Not only do we exchange our status for Jesus's, we love real people by meeting their needs. And Jesus was a great man at this. He is so observant of the needs of people around him. I mean, we can just think of one of the stories that, that we're very familiar with. Jesus washes people's feet. Like in this time, that was a huge deal because people just didn't wash their feet. And so Jesus sees a need that these some dirty, stinky feet in this room. Nobody's going to be able to hang out in here because I can't get past the dirt and the smell. So Jesus takes actual feet and actual water and he washes away actual dirt. He meets actual needs where they're at. And so the example of Christ is a challenge for us to move past these philosophical ideas, these grand ideas about humanity and love, and to move into the actuality where we're really just, we're helping people where they're at. We're finding their needs. It involves us listening instead of just having some sort of fantasies in our head that we know what people need. It ask, it's, it's about us asking questions and listening, like, what do you actually need? That's a great question. What do you actually need? Where's your deficit in life? Where can I meet you at? Uh, there's an author, his name's Shane Claiborne, and, and he wrote the book uh, Irresistible Revolution. And in that he says that everybody wants a revolution. Everybody wants a revolution, but nobody wants to do the dishes. But nobody wants to do the dishes. Guys, community and our connection with each other starts with us doing the dishes. It starts with us doing the small, insignificant things in our lives, each other's lives, blessing each other in those small things. That's where community begins. And so we all want to do these dramatic, life-changing, deep things that are meaningful, that get the headlines, that get attention. But when we search for that, we miss the basic things. We miss the basic ways that we can fill and meet people's needs. We miss the basic ways that we can care for people. We miss the basic needs that are right in front of us because they aren't attention-grabbing enough. They're ordinary, and they're so real that we miss them. And we miss them because even in service, we think too much about ourself and our image. We think way too much about ourself and our image. And friends, servanthood begins when your heart no longer is seeking gratitude and applause. That's where servanthood begins. When you lay down your desire for gratitude and applause is where servanthood begins. So today, we want to open up into Ephesians 5, and we want to get some perspective from God's Word about how we have a heart that is transformed by the Holy Spirit that bends 
outwards towards others that's other-centric and concerned about service and serving one another. And so this is what it says in Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. It says, look carefully then on how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the, with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and, and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so there are three things that I just want to speak about today briefly that um, connect us to each other. If we would do these things, if we would think about these things, they would connect us to each other through service. Number one is this, is that understand that every moment matters. Every moment matters. In that, in that scripture, it says, look carefully then on how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. I don't know if that's news to you guys. This, this, isn't, uh, this isn't a great time in the story of, of God on earth. These are days in which we're separated from the physical presence of God. And, and in that separation, brokenness and evil run. And so these are evil days. And so how do Christians make the best use of evil time? Well, it starts with our understanding of our need for the gospel. Understanding that God came here for you. Not because you're special, because you need him. Not because God just, hey, I love you. I'm going to give you something special. No, you need him, friend. You need him. And so understanding how we live in difficult, evil days is helped by an understanding of your need for the gospel because such a perspective will keep us from just thinking about killing time. A person that is gospel-saturated realizes that killing time is an offense to the creator of time. Those who are ignorant of the Lord will spend time fooling around with temporary things and not thinking about eternal things, assuming that life is all about themselves and filling it all with self-fulfilling personal comforts and securities and dreams. What Christ has done is pretty clear. What he's done in our life, what he did in the word, what he done on earth is pretty clear. And it's a statement to us that this is not about you. It is not about you. It is about him and you for the benefit of others. I love this story. Rick Warren tells a story about a guy named Dan Cathy. I don't know if you guys know Dan Cathy. He's the, he's the founder and CEO of Chick-fil-A. And, and Dan Cathy is in California near Warren's church. And they go over to this prospective Chick-fil-A site. They're just going to go over to this building site that's being built to check it out. They run through some things, and they get hungry in the midst of this. And so right next door is a Taco Bell. So Dan Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, goes to his competitor, and him and Rick Warren are going to eat lunch at Taco Bell. And before they do that, they're dirty. Their hands are dirty. They're sweaty. So they go into the bathroom, and they wash their hands from this dirt. And Warren says this. He said, I watched Dan Cathy, 60-plus years old, he, he took out extra paper towels, and I watched him clean all of the sinks in the Taco Bell restaurant. I said, thanks, Dan. 
You didn't have to do that. And Kathy replied this. I love this. Rick, we teach our staff to always leave any place they're at better than it was when they found it, whether it's our place or not. What? I mean, that's a man that had great perspective. He saw an opportunity, small, mundane opportunity, dirty sinks. Nobody would have blamed this multi-millionaire competitor not going in there and washing the sink. But his heart has been transformed by the gospel. I don't know if you know Dan Cathy, and he is about service. And it doesn't matter if it's his or not, he's going to serve. And I think what a great lesson for us to learn in the story of Dan Cathy. Because here, we can talk metaphysically, abstractly, there's a lot of dirty sinks out there. (laughs) There's a lot of dirty sinks in our lives. And they aren't ours. They aren't ours. But I think the gospel would compel us to make those places better than we found them. Because the gospel has left us in a better place than it found us. And so I think that's a great perspective to take into this, that we might leave each other because of the word of God, because of the gospel, in a better place than we found each other. Number two is this, is that every action matters. Every action matters. It says, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what is the will of the Lord. Essentially what Paul is saying is know the gospel and live it out. What does the fool do? Well, the fool in Scripture is one that disregards God. He disregards God. He can stare the truth in the face and go the other way. The fool lacks the wisdom and discernment to live practically because it's not about information to the fool. It's a lack of action that makes the fool. The fool is the one that knows the gospel but doesn't live out the gospel. And so this is an encouragement to us to be gospel active to live out the realities of the gospel. And if you ever wonder what it means to live out the gospel, these passages that we've gone through in Ephesians 4 through Ephesians 6 are a great place for you to start. Because look, many of us know scripture, and we know the expectation that God has for us. We know the standard that God has, but because we don't have a complete understanding about Jesus or some sort of level of knowledge in God, it causes us to remain lazy in our faith. It's a belief that there's some future version of ourselves that's going to be at some place where we know enough about Jesus to live in a huge, honoring way to him, to live in a way that honors him more deeply. But that's not what the gospel would have for us. The will of the Lord is that you, through his spirit, would be his ambassador, right? We talked about being ambassadors, that you would let Christ live through you for the benefit of others. There's not a point in your life where you're going to be more useful to God. There's just not a point in your life that you're going to be more useful to God or less useful for God. You are just as important to him right now in your state with his spirit in you than some 20-year version of yourself that you think is going to be better educated to be better used. When I was in high school, in this building, if you didn't know that, last class to graduate from this building, uh, there, were, there were many students who were treated, treated particular, weren't, weren't treated particularly well. And I remember one of those students, uh, he just was, was different than, than the normal popular people. It wasn't, he wasn't different, bad. He just, in high school, you know high school. 
he had thick glasses on, and uh, people just kind of made his life hard. And I knew him, and he was a good kid. He was a pleasant kid, and I, I didn't mind associating with him. Um, but I didn't go super far out of my way to be a friend to him. And I remember one day in physics class uh, that I was just sitting there as a senior, and a few kids were kind of they were just throwing things at him. And I just remember uh, simply saying, it wasn't a big deal. I just said, hey, stop that. Just stop that. I, I was new in my faith. Uh, I didn't know a whole lot about Jesus. I just knew that God wanted me to love people no matter what. That's all I knew. And frankly, it was annoying to me as well. And so I didn't think anything of it. I thought it, it was what it was, or so I thought. But I, I came to find out that in, when I was in college that what I thought was just a very small, simple action was, was no prof- with no like, profound significance was a pretty big deal to this kid. Uh, I, I learned later in life that this kid put my senior picture in his locker. And the year after, he, when he opened his locker, he, he prayed for me every day. That small gesture, I didn't, you know, I'm not saying, look, look at me. And it was a small action. But every action matters to people, whether it's for us or for other people. Every action has significance. Maybe not for us, but maybe for somebody else. And so we need to move for God in action as we seek his spirit. Lord, what is it that you have for me for the blessing of others? Because every action matters. The third is that every expression matters. Every expression matters. It says, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, last weekend, uh, I I was on a little time off. I stayed. It was a staycation for a little bit, and then I went up to Notre Dame in South Bend to watch a football game. This is the eighth year in a row that some of my college friends, we get together and we go to uh, La Universidad de Notre Dame de Lac. That's the actual official term for it. I know you were wondering what the term for the real name of Notre Dame is. Uh, We get there early, and we tailgate. We tailgate. Uh, we go to the game, and then we spend the night at a rental. And look, tailgating is always an ex- interesting experience at Notre Dame. So what you need to I'm not a drinker. I'm not a drinker, but most everybody that tailgates is. And there's always some interesting things that happen uh, at a tailgate. And here's what I've learned. People express themselves differently. <laughs> they express themselves differently when they are drunk on wine or beer or whatever it is than they do when they're normal. People just express themselves differently. And I'm not going to lie, there's sometimes I laugh at that at a tailgate and it's inappropriate. But there are some eye-raising moments <laughs> at tailgatings. I have seen things. I have seen things. <laughs> what the Lord, the word here is saying is that when we are filled with the Spirit, in the same way that when people are drunk and filled with wine or beer and they express themselves differently, when we are filled with the Spirit, we begin to express ourselves differently. And this is what it says in that Ephesians. When we're filled with the Spirit, we address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melodies to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks for everything from God, submitting to 
each other out of reverence. I didn't see much of that in Notre Dame. I can tell you that. And now I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be a little bit taken away back if you start coming up to me singing songs and hymns. Uh, I'm not used to that rhythm. But what the heart of this passage is, is that we would encourage one another, that we would have godly speech to one another. And so in service, friends, every moment matters, every action matters, and every expression matters. If we truly desire, if we in this room truly desire to connect to one another through service to each other, it starts with that. But it also is true for those who are outside of this church. Uh, I said this earlier, that putting others first, an others-centric mind, is the brand of Christianity. That we, through Christ, would think of others. That the world would know who Christ is because of us. And so, that mindset is important to those outside of, of these buildings, or this building. Because that's different than what they see out there. And so, I, I, look, I know that there are, are some people that have questions about, hey, what's next in this church? What is Life Community Church going to be like? Uh, know that we are wanting to be a blessing to our community through our service. This is a big deal to us. I think the most tangible example that I can give to you that would reflect the heart beat of this church going forward is something that we're going to do in December. On December 9th, we're going to organize our first annual Super Service Saturday. And we are going to build teams of, of our family members here to go out and bless our community because of our love for, for the gospel, for Christ. And so we're going to go to nursing homes and we're going to visit people. We're going to go help another ministry called Angel Tree get prepared for uh, this season. And we're going to split up into teams of five or six and we're going to care for our widows and our elderly and we want to clean their houses and do small little projects that they have trouble getting to. This is a rhythm that we want to be a part of. This is who we want to be. We want to be the church of the community. We want to bless others because of how God has blessed us. That is a major heartbeat of ours going forward. But as always, it starts with us. It starts with our desires and our beliefs because this life, right, it is not about us. Um, it's not about us. And I'll leave you with these last few thoughts. There's a book out by a guy named John Piper. It says, don't waste, it's a book called Don't Waste Your Life. And he writes about a tragic life. And here's what he says. And honestly, there's some hard stuff in here. There was some hard stuff in here for me to hear. He says, I will tell you what is a tragedy of life is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider from the February 1998 edition of the Reader I Digest, which tells of a couple who took an early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler and play softball and collect shells. At first, this is Piper, at first when I read it, I thought, might it be a joke? A spoof of the American dream, but it wasn't. Tragically, this was their dream. To come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life, and the, let the last great work of your life before you give an account to your creator be this, playing softball and collecting shells. Picture them before Christ on that great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells? That's a tragedy. And people spend billion dollars 
today to persuade others to embrace that tragic dream. Over against that, I protest, don't buy it, don't waste your life. Friends, we have put so much stock into serving ourselves and fulfilling our needs and our wants and our desires that we're missing it. I think we're missing it. All of life can seem to just be a quest for personal satisfaction. Where, like, where is our God-given passion for life change in our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers? Where is our vision for the Holy Spirit that God could do something in this day and age that would supersede any logic that we would ever think of? Why don't we believe that God could do something in this day and age that would shake the foundations of this community? We are so short-sighted, so focused on me, that we've deceived ourselves in believing that that, what is, that is what life is about. Doing some good, having some God, going to church occasionally, and collecting stuff. And above all else, being happy. The word says that we have to change that paradigm. The Spirit says that we have to change that paradigm. And it starts with putting ourselves last and putting others first. That we would pray and dream about the Spirit transforming our friends and our neighbors and our neighborhoods in a way that is supernatural. That lines up with who we know the nature of Christ to be in His Word and in His actions. That we would have a vision of the Spirit descending upon our homes and our families and our neighbors and our workplaces that would just blow our minds. Why? Where is that vision in our hearts? Where is that vision in our hearts? And so, would you join me? This is where I'm at. Would you join me in just praying that God would break through these assumptions that I have about life? That I wouldn't minimize the Holy Spirit and what he could do, that I would dream big visions. Would you join me as a church that we would have a vision that is bigger than our own small minds could comprehend? And we believe it starts with service, hearts that are transformed and bent towards others, not because we're seeking gratitude or applause or praise, because of him. Because of him, there's never going to be a sacrifice that we make in our lives that will be better than his sacrifice that he made on the cross. And everything that we do flows out of that sacrifice because of our love for him. And so let's take that paradigm into our service and our care for one another. It's a bold vision for us to lay aside our own personal comforts and to seek the Lord. But I... I know that's the word the Lord would want us to have it. And we're better in that together, right? We're better than that together. We're better doing that as a family. So let's consider those things and pray those things this week. Let's pray. God, we just come before you today and we, just, uh, we are just asking that you would give us a bold vision, that we would stop seeing the hundred feet in front of ourselves of what we think that is capable, but we would see the miles and miles in front of us that we know that you're capable of doing through your spirit, that you would give us a vision, a boldness in our faith to serve those who need it, to put our lives as secondary 
and to raise the lives of those around us as primary. Lord, we love you and praise you for who you are. And we pray this in the name of Christ our Lord.